Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In This Hurts, Belfast-based artist Audrey Blue explores contemporary themes of queerness, mortality, youth and anxiety against the backdrop of a post-troubles world. Through a mix of photography, painting, printmaking and written musings, Audrey invites us into a nocturnal world that creates a palpable tension between the dreamlike and the nightmarish. The beating heart of Audrey's practice is community. She sees her role as a story keeper, a space for her to hold the narratives and untold histories of her loved ones and wider community. There is this urgency to like just take hold of everything you can get and to not forget because we're not well documented. I'm Jen Fletcher and this is The Messy Truth, Conversations on Photography. This is the final episode in a three-part special made in collaboration with Scene 15 Gallery. The Troubles Generation, a project by curator Vivian Gamble, invites artists who grew up in Northern Ireland during the Troubles or in its aftermath to shed new light on the impact of living through an era of intense sectarian violence. Scene 15 is an independent gallery and project space in Peckham, South East London, that champions contemporary photography with a focus on emerging, diverse and experimental artists who are expanding the boundaries of the medium. Let's jump into my conversation with Audrey. I thought an important place for us to start our conversation would be talking a little bit about your upbringing. Sort of where did you grow up and how did it shape your creativity? So I grew up in Derry in Northern Ireland, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of, especially now in um, the UK because of the series Derry Girls. So if you've ever seen that show, that is literally where I grew up. And a lot of where that is filmed is places where I absolutely did hang out and, you know, drank tinnies in the park and, you know, was just a general hallion <laughs> in my teenage years so the show is pretty spot on and I actually really love the show because it does do Derry like a really good like picture of justice to like how people really are there so I was born in 1998 which was when the ceasefire was um, and the good friday agreement was so I kind of grew up in this kind of weird shadow of something that I didn't quite understand and wasn't given like this kind of full picture of because even though it was a civil war that lasted what, like, I don't even know how long the troubles were. Good couple of years. We'll say that. <laughs> because in Derry, you know, there was like a short aftermath. But in places like Belfast, there was like a longer aftermath where the troubles kind of didn't really end in Belfast until like 2001-ish. So that's kind of a good layover to what should have been like a stop in a, the civil war compared to Derry when where the ceasefire was agreed you know, it, it did seem to recover quickly. So I kind of grew up with that as my backdrop. And it's kind of hard to explain because the way I speak about it, I kind of have to really put myself back in 
my own shoes when I was first making the work, which is when I was a student. And of course, you're just absorbing everything around you, especially, you know, your own kind of climate and what you also want to make out of the things that you have in front of you, usually with no money. (laughs) And of course, I ended up choosing the most expensive media, which is, you know, analog film. (laughs) (laughs) So growing up, I was always into traditional arts. My grandfather was a painter, my dad was a painter, and then he was a bit more experimental with his work, but there was always like a tactile media involved. And then when I met my wife, I was 17, I want to say. We we actually met when I was 16 and she was 21 or two. And I have no recollection of this. And I'm so embarrassed about the story because I was underage drinking in the local bar (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) and so she came up to me uh on behalf of our our friend um megan megan was always kind of scouting for you know just fresh faces people you know interesting people to take photographs of blah 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 and susan was kind of her like right hand man where she would just kind of have a good eye for like locations and models and subjects and and such so they kind of made a good little a little duo while we were all living in Derry at the same time, I should say. So we all kind of grew up together. Susan knew Megan for a while first. And then I met Susan and then and then I kind of got brought into her world. But so Susan spotted me in our little crap local bar in the middle of town. And I, God bless, I just have no recollection. But she came up to me and in her words, she asked me like, you know, would I do some modeling and blah, blah, blah. And nothing really came of it, I think at that time. And then later on, she needed somebody, I think maybe even like a year later, she needed somebody for her music video because she is a musician. And her drummer at the time said my name, I think. And she then went on Facebook to see you know, was I there? And then she realized we were already friends. And then she messaged me and, you know, I came over, did the thing. And we have this like outtake video of, because the video actually never got released due to like, oh, X, Y, and Z problems. But we have this weird kind of like outtake B-roll of us acting like we've known each other for years. Like you would not think that we had met each other like a couple of times. Amazing. And then on the day we were like, it's, it's like we were best friends. And then shortly after that, it all kicked off. <laughs> um, and I started staying over in her house a lot. And I actually wasn't like out. Well, I kind of didn't have to come out because my parents were like cool in a way that was like, they didn't care, but also, uh, I don't know. They carry their own general homophobia with them, but they didn't care like as much as I thought they were gonna. <laughs> so I started staying over in Susan's house like an awful lot. Within all that, there was kind of this weird shift for me growing up with this weird art background that I didn't fully kind of take advantage of. And then she bought me a like this analog camera set that came with like all these different lenses. And, you know, it came with a wee Canon T50 and stuff, which is a little semi-automatic film camera. And, you know, she was even the one that showed me how to use it and stuff. And I was just kind of like fittering around with that, um, you know, during, you know, art school days. And slowly but surely, it just kind of became like this passion project of, you know, photographing your friends around you, which in turn kind of becomes about, you know, photographing youth and how fleeting it all is. And then you kind of get like, you know, when you like you clean your room when you're a kid and you pull everything out 
and then even though the task at hand was to clean, you're now sitting in this mountain of all your stuff and you're getting really nostalgic about it all, even though you're mm-hmm. a child, essentially, you're a teenager <laughs> and you're like, what am I getting so nostalgic about? I've been on this planet for five seconds. <laughs> so I've always kind of done that. And then I kind of started doing that with this series as well, especially because I was collecting, you know, negatives. I wasn't collecting like digital images. I really just like this tactile nature of being able to hold these photographs the same way you would hold a photo album. Like, you know, my mom would always have have photo albums and stuff and I would always go through them and always want to see what I looked like when I was younger or somebody else when they were younger compared to now and then imagine what they would be like in the future. So I've always kind of had this natural air of like existentialism around me. It sounds like photography had quite a sort of potent presence in your life from from a young age. I think so too. My mom was I mean, my mom now, I swear to God, I could ask her to take a photo with a film camera and she would be like, oh, I don't know how you'd have to show me. But back in the day, she would be the one taking photographs of everything with film cameras. And I'm like, how do you, what? It's so strange to me that like she just naturally was in this media without even knowing it, even though she was just taking, you know, family portraits and, you know, days out at the beach and stuff. And now she just has no recollection of how to do it. And now somehow it's, you know, I'm all about it. So that even that weird kind of like shift is just so strange that I picked up this media that was once her like go to for just documenting the ordinary. You know, you could say from a young age that it's always been like in my mind a bit subconsciously. And then because having this background in like painting, I kind of wanted to combine the two. So in kind of my HND era, which was the higher national diploma, I really got into silkscreen printing. A guy in my course was doing it and I really loved the look of it. And of course, I was taking my own photographs that were from an analog background. And then I really liked this, again, more hands-on kind of way of producing this photograph in a way that was altered by hand. So that was really interesting. And then, you know, the series was all about at the very, well, at the beginning, it was about like youth culture and drag. And, you know, the series started in Derry and there just was not a lot going on, <laughs> especially like I had this new friendship group. Everybody was doing all these different medias. You know, I had just met, you know, my, my wife, you know, my then girlfriend and like everything was changing. And I think it was the first time that my life had changed so drastically in this little town that stays the same almost like if I if I went back right now so little will have changed about Derry and I think that's one of the reasons why I needed to leave but it's also I can it's understandable why people would change or stay because it just doesn't really change and it's comfortable so as a person who changes a lot I think I like change and I like experimenting and I like I just like the idea and the motion of moving on and moving through and always finding, you know, the next thing. I quickly picked up, so silk screen printing, and then I've got, you know, analog media under my belt. And then at the same time, I'm kind of picking up like video editing software kind of bits that was just built into the course and was very handy to learn. And then I slowly but surely kind of moved back into like, why am I not painting anymore? Like, it feels wrong that I've kind of just ditched this. And I also moved up to Belfast to go to the art school up here and kind of having like no real close friends in the course that I was in kind of prompted me to like start some new things. And funnily enough, the thing that felt new again was painting because I had kind of dropped it in this old life that I felt that I had, you know, 
kind of tucked away and that I could start something not so technically new, but new to the people around me. And I was like, I'm going to just start painting again and just see where this goes. And I think in my second year, I kind of was like, okay, this is all, this is all really starting to come together. And of course, when you're kind of making stuff and you're making stuff in Northern Ireland, naturally it's shadowed by the troubles and the more I kind of learned about what the troubles was like in Belfast the more that kind of influenced the work and my wife has a very different upbringing to me in the troubles versus what I was kind of brought up with which is what like kind of a bit of shelteredness really from my parents because I get what they were trying to do but in turn it kind of just left me with no information so I'm kind of figuring all this out and listening to other people's experiences while also just growing up as a queer youth you know, woman around my little alternative friendship group and all these vast medias and trying to, you know, put the jigsaw puzzles into place and where they feel right. And then I think it was like right at, right, I think it was like nearly second year going into third year. I just created this big wall installation that was made up of, you know, some of the, you know, traditional medias like painting that I had done, you know, like these little like fractured eyes on glass and silk screen bits and collage and text and vinyl and then photography. And then I connected them all with kind of similar to how they are in the, or well, how they were because the show's over now actually, um, how they were set up in scene 15. So that's kind of where that idea originated from was in university so it's like half the walls black half the walls white everything's connected everything's kind of all over the place there's text there's you know photography there's all this much mishmash of media that are somehow working in this little like self-contained solar system Mm -hmm. and I think that has just been the foundation of the work now is seeing how that works in different scales um, and in different spaces and then of course as I grow up and I, I figure things out more about the troubles and my background and other people's perspectives, that kind of gets included into the work too now. I mean, there's so much I want to ask you. There is literally, I know there's just so much. I'm so sorry. There's just no, there's just no clear, concise like concept to this because so much of it is just here, there and everywhere. And But that's what I like. Yeah, me too. I think it's unraveling is part of its strength, 100%. But I, I guess to sort of break it down a little bit, mm-hmm. it's really interesting that you say to me there was a, there was an element of your parents sort of protecting you and sheltering you from what had happened in the Troubles. Mm-hmm. How do you relate to it? yourself now how do you relate to kind of the conflict and and sort of what happened before you were born kind of well it's kind of like you know you do and you don't and that's kind of what you know kind of sets you into this bit of not identity crisis but this feeling of wanting to relate and then not wanting to infringe on somebody else's history while also wanting to know more and being like is this about me or is this not or oh it's just it's very complicated and it's very like I don't know it's it's interesting but it's interesting in a way that like it hurts you to dig deeper and deeper and deeper and I I think I just love stories I love telling stories and I love visual stories and I love narrative and there's just this kind of performance I think about my work which has kind of come about in a way that is you know the way it's even set up And there's so many stories within each of the works that you kind of have to ask me about them 
and then I have to tell you or I'll write something on the board or not the board I'll write something on the wall and it might not be in the most like clear or concise handwriting so then you have to ask me exactly what it says and there's always that element of back and forth about the work now that I can see has come from me constantly asking my my parents about their upbringing and not getting a clear story and then meeting my wife's side of the family and it's just so intrinsically part of their lives like you know the troubles and Mm. they are so open about it even though I don't know it's like they went through very different things and technically the troubles were a bit more harsh in Belfast like I'm not trying to compare a civil war like you know in comparison to which location got it the worst you know it's not a competition and Derry and Belfast really like to compete over stuff like that and it was just so strange but also refreshing to me witnessing how my wife's family would speak so blatantly and openly about the troubles and it kind of does come with this you know this is you know very bewildering to like witness and hear but also it's kind of sad but also it's like a bit um liberating like in a way and obviously at the end of it it just gives a real perspective whereas what my parents were doing was kind of wanting to tell how the troubles were but also not because they don't want to give you too much information but at the end of the day it's something that I could totally just research by myself anyway I just wanted their personal kind of stories and Mm -hmm. you know there's only so much I asked as well because you know when you're a kid you don't want to like annoy your parents you know with something that you think might upset them especially if you've been given so little information you have to wonder why so I wasn't trying to burden them as well with being like tell me this tell me this tell me this especially if you know it's not something they wanted to share and sometimes I think that's the case and sometimes not because you know my mom was you know a disabled you know adolescent growing up in the troubles and it's I have never really asked her about that because I don't think I can take it and one day I will but for now I kind of have I can I can imagine you know without having to really ask and you know put her through me asking that too um and then my dad was you know clearly this little oddball in this oddball family of artists and stuff who you know if artists you know aren't taken seriously now you can imagine what it was like in the middle of a civil Mm. war in Northern Ireland where literally nobody cares about art (laughs) so they're all these artists and you know their parents are also trying to shelter them but there's only a certain extent to that you can do while you're in it. And there's also this kind of, you know, poverty shame at the same time too. And that, you know, has carried through to them. And then obviously, you know, I don't think my parents grew up with a lot of, you know, that poverty shame, you know, I think they were a bit liberated, liberated from that. Um, so I didn't kind of get that aspect, but there was just missing pieces in the stories, you know, things would be, you know, super fun in their childhood. And then there would just be these really, awful stories as well and I was like this is so up and down that I can't put together like the lineage or the real picture of this and then I think that's why my work is so like discompopulated now because it just kind of harks back to all this you know like missing lineage and not full stories and you know things being like half of a whole you know in terms of like conception and also visual kind of narrative that I present but yeah <laughs> do you think there's a sense of 
inherited trauma living through something like this for you in both the knowing and the unknowing? I would love to answer that clear as day, but I have no idea. It's it's more mm. just like I'm just left with this huge sense of wondering. And I don't know if that's trauma or just something that I have built in myself that I could just stop and, and you know, spare myself from. Or if there is ever going to be like an end, something to satisfy the wonder, something to... But I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> mm. Because I think even if my parents wrote it down for me word by word you're never going to get the full story you know it's just not like yeah. that. I didn't live through it I have you know I have to accept that and I have to kind of make do with the pieces of information that I have around it and then in, in that in those kind of terms I then kind of build my own story my own narrative to the shadow of that you know I guess while you were navigating coming out of this sort of aftermath of the troubles growing up in that time you were also navigating coming out as queer in your own identity and I guess I was curious what that experience was like for you because I know for me even now I am very hyper vigilant in public space not because I expect something terrible to happen but because there's a lot of microaggressions that our community navigate on a daily basis. And I guess I was curious what your experience was like growing up in an ultra conservative environment. Yeah. So I think just being like aware that I've, you know, I'm, I've always been like a female presenting small person, or at least that's what, you know, is apparent to the world. And especially in quite like a masculine culture, like dairy, that has always just been there and it's always just existed within my kind of my armor my my aura you know mm. and there was this kind of really liberating point of my life where I think you know I came out and everything was you know shiny and cool and new and you know I think a lot of gay people or at least gay teenagers go through that where well I suppose it depends where you grow up but I grew up in the city and I think there was a bit of naivety as well that contributed to everything being shiny and new and cool, um, especially because with Susan came all these queer kind of like alternative friends as well who were, you know, definitely not straight. And even if they were straight, they were very not straight. <laughs> <laughs> and they're still that way. But I think, you know, as experience goes on, you know, you have your own obstacles and whatnot. And I suppose for a long time, I, I just I just didn't think about the troubles for so long because I didn't want it to affect me. But also I didn't know how it would because it also technically wasn't affecting me as a teenager, or at least not that I realized. It's all very, I don't It's it's strange to, to try and think back to being a teenager in Derry. And when I first started this project and, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. But funnily enough, I always just knew that I didn't want um the series to look like it was taken in Derry because I just had this real resentment for living there you know I just didn't want to be there everything just seemed like a tourist trap and everything just seemed like and like everything was like nothing was like real everything was like a novelty act you know everybody knew everybody I mean they still do there's just so little to do there so I think the troubles felt further away from me even when I was, or when I was living in Derry, because of how touristy it was, 
and I didn't really want to think about the troubles. You know, you're a teenager and you're kind of coming of age and especially coming out as well. It's kind of the last thing on your mind to want to think about, you know, what your parents went through because, you know, you're at that rebellious stage as well. You're like, um, you know, I'm not my parents and blah, blah, blah. And I think making the work that I made at the time without really thinking of all that behind it, because I just, I couldn't have thought of all that behind of it because I just wasn't there yet, you know? What's life like now in Northern Ireland for the LGBT community? Um, still, oh, geez, it's, <laughs> it's, it's good. And I'll, it's, you know what, I think for the LGBT community, there is a lot more up and coming, I think, in both Derry and Belfast. There is so much going on. There are so many, you know, like talented artists, makers, performers, you know, their audience are more, you know, susceptible towards it now. You know, it, you know, people aren't like disgusted by it. It's not a niche, which is nice. But I will say with the prominence of, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race and stuff, it is very gay male oriented. Mm-hmm. And to then find your space as a lesbian within that world, especially a lesbian photographer, and then a lesbian feminist photographer photographing youth and existentialism and then some sort of like historical background or historical narratives that are bleeding into this series. It all, it all gets a very, you know, you get lost and it's easy to get lost. And I think that's why the initial um, series that was called Not Drag kind of died very quickly and moved on to This Hurts um, yeah. because it was so... I didn't realize, but it was so me just trying to carve a space in drag culture until I was like, what am I doing? Like, why? I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> like, I, I don't. Why am I trying to emulate being a man in a wig singing, not even singing, sing, lip syncing songs for money? I was like, what am I? What am I doing in this series? But don't you think sometimes going down the wrong path is exactly what you need to do to like get on the right path? Well, absolutely, because then I realized it was just about masking and performance, and it still is. And I'm mm-hmm. really glad that I got there in the end. Um, it just had to take shape as something first, you know. And I think I was just really bewildered by the glitz and the glam of drag culture, and that kind of got me into nightlife culture, and because that never really strayed. I've always loved kind of like the aesthetic of night and. I think that then came into prominence when I started to get really bad, like anxiety over COVID and nighttime just became this absolute like nightmarish time for me. It was like my absolute problem zone. Everything about my anxiety would hit me specifically when I was trying to sleep. So that became its kind of its own tangent. And then now that I've kind of come through that, now I find a lot of like calmness and stillness in nighttime. And there's just has been this continuous theme of having a roller coaster ride with what it means to exist at night you know Mm, that's so interesting for those who haven't seen this hurts which you showed in October at scene 15 the project itself sort of interlaces your personal concerns as a queer person growing up in Northern Ireland as well as thinking about the LGBTQ plus community there and it's thinking about these contemporary themes of queerness mortality youth anxiety against the backdrop, as you've been saying, of this sort of post-Troubles world. And I guess 
One of the first things that I wanted to ask you, which you kind of touched upon before, is that it feels like community and connections are absolutely vital to this body of work in that you're bringing in all of these different stories. As you say, sometimes like it's not always obvious who you're talking about, why you're talking about them, and it sort of prompts all of these questions and this kind of call and response with the viewer, which I think is really interesting. But I wanted to know, like, why is this sort of multifaceted community, why is that so important to your practice? I think it has just been something that has come about so naturally. It's kind of like you can't really, or not, well, maybe just me particularly, I just felt like some things were meant to be self-portraits and some things weren't like it was just kind of like this mad connection between maybe somebody that I thought was interesting turns into this weird like just initial spark of you know like not friendship but like you know twin flames but and I I know you're like you know meant to have like one twin twin flame or whatever but I feel like I have loads sorry I've got to interrupt you because I just love the fact that you said twin flames because this is something like a concept I'm obsessed with and mm. I thought I've never spoken to anybody else apart from my wife about it um, I just that's all I had that's all I had to say <laughs> well, I'm, very, I'm very excited that you're leading <laughs> with twin flames sorry continue I just feel like you know living as a lesbian person now you know my ideas about you know love and language and relationship and connection are so broadened and I obviously had a sense of that at the beginning because you know I just I love connecting and I love talking and I love story sharing and I I also really love being a story keeper and you know I just I don't know what it is about like information about people I'm just so like it's so hard to say this without sounding like a total creep about it because I just love narrative and I just love storytelling so when I get kind of a natural back and forth with somebody and they get really deep and I get really deep I'm like this is what life is all about isn't it (laughs) and I think that's kind of where like the twin flame thing comes in because it is this kind of stark notion where you're supposed to have like just one but I feel like I have so many in so many different ways and that I I feel like there's this expectation that your twin flame should be somebody that is like at your hip and I don't feel that way at all I think it's somebody who you just have this mad spark with you know maybe once maybe a thousand times maybe when you see each other which could be you know every 10 years or it could be every day and I just really like that idea of photographing that experience and sometimes my persona would bleed onto them and vice versa and then that kind of gives you this weird identity crisis and I think I almost flourish in having an identity crisis. I feel like I don't want to land anywhere. I kind of like being this, not three-dimensional, but I just really like the idea of being everything in terms of, you know, dress and performance and just ways of being. I don't feel like I feel grounded in the sense of who I am, but that's also not what I want. And to pick little pieces of other people that I like and, take them in as my own and kind of give something away to them of mine too that you know they can choose to keep or not is just something that has always happened throughout this photographic project not so much you know in the silk screen or the painting because I think that's then where the work gets manipulated but in the initial process of photographing somebody else for whatever reason it is it is just that initial back and forth spark of something it could be 
it's it's really hard to exp- explain like the the feeling, but it could be just a really good conversation or something that you're both passionate about, or it's just a really good shit and ideas just come flying out of your ears and you know vice versa and you just end up creating like amazing art and you know that's the that's the flame to both of you but then there's times where you know I feel like it's it's supposed to be a self-portrait this time and then because of all this kind of gathered information and stories and all this big kind of web of like information I then kind of feel like a double in front of the camera and I think that then lends itself to feeling like a double as a lesbian woman in life because there is kind of, you know, the person that you want to, or I mean, there's the person that you want to present yourself as, especially as a lesbian, you want to be, you know, palatable and maybe that's to get a job or maybe that's to please your parents or maybe that's to just not get killed walking Mm -hmm. home. And I think I've always really loved the idea of the double you know, especially even in like Plath's work, who I wrote about in my, you know, dissertation, she had this really obvious confliction about lesbianism. And I don't really think it's been picked up enough in the bell jar. Um, But there was this really obvious, you know, negative and positive writing style and descriptionary kind of style that she would reference the different types of woman in and you could tell who she was attracted to and you could tell who she was a bit um disturbed by in terms of how far and how obvious their lesbianism got Mm. and I've always kind of related to that in the book and I feel like that is just something that comes out in my natural life as well and it's something that I just really I just really related to so when I think about you know who I want to be and who has or who I've picked up a lot from or who I feel attached to then taking a self-portrait, you know, all of that kind of comes pouring out. And I think especially in COVID, that was just enhanced because I was just alone looking at myself in the mirror being like, what? <laughs> it's so interesting that you you kind of called yourself a story keeper, which I think is such a powerful, beautiful, liberating phrase and and something that is so intrinsic to being gay being queer being lesbian kind of ever, however you identify because you you kind of you're a story keeper and almost you know it speaks to a conversation we were having before we started recording in that there's still limited amount of information shared there's limited amount of access about certain things in our community there is this urgency to like just take hold of everything you can get and to not forget because you know, we're not well-documented, you know, it is not a well-documented thing to be a contemporary lesbian artist, person, you know, thing that exists. And to find something else that is close or relatable to that, you just want to take it and keep it and, you know, preserve it. And I think that's, you know, again, why I think photography has lasted this long in the series, because it is this snap of immortality you know I am essentially just you know in a real cliched way capturing the moment and whatever else but my own feelings towards that are just so rushed and of urgency and of you know not wanting to lose and feeling like everything is fleeting and trying to trying to eat the whole cake even though you're already full yeah it's a sense of archiving it's a sense of like grounding the present in the past and and not being isolated which I think is a thing Mm -hmm. that a lot of us battle with it's so important I I totally relate to that sense of urgency I feel it the same with writing I'm like if 
whenever I discover a new queer artist, I'm like, I have to write about them. I have to mm-hmm. historicize them because whether you're photographing or painting or, or writing or just talking, like this is an act of like historicizing and putting something into the archive that wasn't there, no matter how small and, and small scale it might seem or how less like the limited sort of public impact of it. I just think it's so important for our own individual mental health as well as the as well as the communities. Yeah, I so relate to how passionately you speak about that. Yeah, it's just I think even just photography as a tool, I mean it, I mean photography and the camera was, you know, born out of, you know, racism and to obviously not comparing, you know, any of my experiences to racism. That tool was developed by, you know, Englishmen who were going to other countries to literally document the other, quote, species that were there. So to have this really controversial and really quite new piece of equipment, there is something to be said about, you know, contemporary alt people manipulating this media in a way that, you know, their lives are kind of described as being like deviant or not on the right path. Or, you know, you're kind of given that, you're kind of told that that is your your line in life, that if you're not, you know, the picturesque of marriage and straightness and all that, that you are, you're on the wrong path and you are now a a societal deviant to Mm -hmm. pick up something like photography that was used for something so like straight edge, like documenting other races for the purpose of stealing cultures essentially that to now use this medium in a way that is very manipulative and experimental I think there's just a real you know joy from that and a a little bit of irony too yeah I love this tension in your photography like it's probably there throughout all of the different mediums that you work with which we can talk about a bit more in a minute but in your photography I was really struck by this sort of tension between the image some of the images being so much about freedom and play and self-expression and self-actualization and then this contrast between some of them feeling a bit more ominous and kind of under threat it felt like this real tension in the emotional spectrum which I I was really drawn to I don't know if that was intentional for you well you know what I'm glad that has kind of come through because a lot of the time when you take a picture you don't really sometimes you're not even in that mindset or that it's not a bit it's not very obvious within the photo that you're taking but I think I suppose that's why series exists because then you get to kind of throw them together to then create that kind of atmosphere so I'm I'm glad that that has come through <laughs> I'm sort of like half on the bench about asking you this question but I'll let you decide where we take it but with your photographic work the images are so candid and tender and sensual at times and obviously you've you've talked about how these are people that you know and some people that you you know really have these intensely powerful relationships with I'm curious where thinking about your image making where do the images sit in terms of being candid and sort of court moments versus being crafted and kind of set up if you indeed want to reveal or talk about that oh absolutely I think some so much of it is not candid Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it is made to feel that way and sometimes that is just down to the simplicity of it's very hard to get a candid picture of something that you want to look so specifically like the thing that lives inside your brain Mm. and sometimes it's as simple as that and other times it's just maybe I'm going through a period of 
oh, I'm bringing my camera out every day and I'm kind of going through that period in my life. And other times it's, no, I feel, I feel structured and I feel like I have something, I have a vision, I have a, I have a construction to get out or to put in place or to, to build on. And I want to, you know, create this image. I want to be in charge of the the piece by piece of this image. And other times it just so happens to work <laughs> very naturally. And I think that's what I really like about the series is that not only can some people not tell what is candid and what's not, I just I just like that there's some sort of not knowing within the series that I physically and orally have to answer because then I do get that back and forth with you know real life audiences or I get to explain a little bit more because I think when some people look at the images there's only so much you can take you know there's only so much that the eye can visually describe you know and the rest of it is in the conception of the work um and as a series, I think it does a better job of giving the overall concept. But I think that's why I make some of the images the way I do. Say, like, there is a candid image, but it's, it looks really not candid. And then I get to talk about that. And there's usually some some more information within that photo that I get to share. Like the one of, I don't know if you've seen the one, it's like the, it, it is me. And a lot of people don't even realize it is me. And it's the it's me upside down on the bed, legs in the oh, air. Yeah. So much of the the series is you know influenced by like hallucinations and dreams, and you know being under the influence and kind of figuring out you know how to visually represent like my mental health at the time. And I think again that's where nighttime and stuff kind of lends itself to you know being very visually obvious about you know being in a dark you know literary sense um so I think that all just worked out aesthetically for me anyway and that's kind of where I started getting into like double exposures and triple exposures and doing and doing that in camera to kind of represent like bleariness of emotions and mental state and all that kind of stuff as well yeah there's so much around that which is so striking in the work from the things like the reoccurring motifs of eyes and rats and this sort of darker instability and then like you were saying the use of double and triple exposures and blurring it's all like reaching for this sensation or these feelings which are sort of manifesting as visual disruptions but like reaching for the like you said like this unconscious or hallucinogenic kind of state of mind which is so hard to describe but governs so much of our lives yeah yeah like it's this weird place of limbo that I just feel needs represented for me to be accepting of it because if if I can get it out there and I can see that it's real and that I'm not nuts then maybe I will feel a little less nuts you know it feels like color is quite important in in that strand as well yeah I think I've just always just liked things to be oversaturated I've always kind of liked this hiding of the truth kind of element in photos like I've never wanted things to be crystal clear I've never I've never just I've never liked the idea of like the perfect photograph I've always been into a more experimental kind of aesthetic and I think that's in the paintings as well so I think that has just come from a very natural place of just having a personal taste and I think it's also what connects the work too um especially trying to make photographic media and paintings and silkscreen and prints and collage all work together sometimes something like having a nice kind of like 
color way just makes everything a bit easier to present. Why is it so important to you to have this multifaceted practice? Because it's a lot of different skills that you've brought into the work. I just, you know what, I think it's just number one, being stubborn and not being able to take no for an answer. Because when I was, you know, again, in art school, they were like, yep, so it's time to, you know, find your media. And I was like, oh, no, oh, I'm no, not doing that. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) And there was this real pushback that I had more than I thought I was going to have to give to just to be able to do multiple things. You know, it did not go down well with so many of my tutors, you know, year after year after year. They were like, well, you know, Audrey, time to time to, you know, focus in and, you know, get it going and all and, you know, really refine your practice. And I was like, well, it is refined. I just happen to be doing a couple of things that all bounce off each other and, you know, in my opinion, work. And I think that was just so not the trajectory. Or again, I was just being the deviant on the wrong path that was, you know, supposed to be, it it wasn't helping them put the ticks in the boxes. So for a long time, I really struggled with my studies because of it. And, you know, I absolutely recommend it to anybody. Do not settle. Do as many practices as you feel. Because when I went to university, I think I had just, I had, I'm still used to pushing hard enough and, you know, getting through with it. So that when I came to Belfast, I think they were, or I think my tutors or, or, you know, the authority figures that I met in the course were, a bit like, hmm, but then they, you know, they would say, you know, we encourage you to do everything. And then when you actually do that, they're like, oh, no, 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 no. You're like, what? No, you told me to do that. So when I came in and I really (laughs) meant it, and there was absolutely no stopping me at this point either, you know, it it was going to happen. It was one of the reasons I chose that university. It was one of the reasons I chose that course. And it's still one of the reasons why, because I didn't, um, I didn't graduate in photography. I did fine art. And it's one of the reasons I chose fine art is because it is this very open, like degree, you are supposed to be able to do lots of different things and refine yourself in lots of different areas if you choose to do so. And I thought that was very reasonable of me to think, but apparently not so much. (laughs) It's so interesting that I think it's just starting to change now. I think it definitely is more a hell of a lot more accepted in like the professional world. But I think it's starting to change in universities now where they're starting to realise that the freedom and creativity of an artist is more important than their bureaucratic process of ticking boxes, which is absolutely what it's about. Yeah, I think so. Because I find now that in the photography courses, they're they're showing more artists that are doing like, you know, they're even showing Megan because Megan went to Ulster University um, and, you know, they're showing her work and stuff. And I love that because Megan is so out of the box. Megan is so not doing anything that was done before, especially not in Northern Ireland. And, you know, she is a huge part of why I am who I am and my way I work the way is the way that it is. And I think it's so cool that not only are they showing young photographers, they are showing young photographers that are doing more than just image making. And by image making, mm. I mean just constructing an image and taking it. Whereas Megan is so like tactile and like loves her scratches on her photographs and color bleeds. And, you know, even though it is all like um, very like model or subject heavy, and, like she's not very she's not a landscapey kind of photographer. It's still fueled by all these air brackets imperfections that would be like very not approved of in like traditional photography. You know, I wanted to ask you about the role text plays mm. in the body of work. Because that's really important too. So yeah, I think I've always just been into poetry and writing. Like I, I always loved, like even just in secondary school, like drama, English and art. 
And again, it was just something that just naturally crept its way in there, started playing about a bit more. I think it was when I started doing the wall installation things that it kind of found its footing and then kind of found its place and can now be manipulated, you know, per the space that it's in or if say it's maybe in like a collage that that's then printed you know there's just so much room for text and I think that's what I really like about it because it can be used in so many different varieties like I especially love kind of having the you know the the this hurts kind of motif now it's almost like a stamp of what the series is when it's exhibited and then I just I also love having like bits of handwritten information that then you know provokes the the audience questions of what does that say and sometimes it's covered a little bit so people don't get to read the whole sentence and then there's other bits that are just kind of like scribbles and stream of consciousness writing that are in maybe some of the collages that are are their own body of work you know they will be fitted in the the exhibition as a piece rather than something that I don't know extends the the, the exhibition into the room but um yeah I think I think, again, the text kind of came about when the work took place as an installation, really. And it wasn't just flat anymore. I, I was quite disarmed by the presentation of the work. And, and I love the fact that you say it, it sort of its roots were in this those moments in childhood where you sort of unpack your life and your bedroom floor when you're trying to sort of. I, I always think of those moments in, in your bedroom when you're sort of whether you're like redoing your bedroom or going through all your stuff nostalgically it's such like an identity forming moment like oh it's so is and I am like in love with like the aesthetic of like the the postered walls like head to toe like like just images over images like this clutteredness it's like there's just this calm and this chaos because like you have kind of built this little like sanctuary for yourself that looks nuts and all of it is just about trying to say who you are you know on paper in this little dome that surrounds you and it's where you know you, mm. it's literally where you wake up and it's where you lay your head and it's where you have like your most intimate moments as well like especially a teenage girl's bedroom I just there's just so much visual fire to me in those spaces presentation just speaks so much to your experiences and how you're you're someone that's so profoundly embracing the messy the nuance the complicated like I think so much of like life is trying to get you to streamline and be simple and be one thing. It's, it's something that we've talked about in in many guises in our conversation, but that's not what life is like and that's not what a human being is like. And we're enormously complex. And I think great damage is done when we can't be our true selves for whatever reason. I thought it was so powerful, that constellation aspect of the work and how you just show every facet or a lot of facets anyway. I thought it was so powerful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think just the general atmosphere of ebbing and flowing is just super important in the work because even, you know, when I think about the the presentation of the work, I I really love, you know, blowing some things up and really shrinking some things down. And then I think about what that does basically to a viewer. So I like that it has kind of now made people act in a certain way like I really like to people watch at my exhibitions and see if they're doing the thing that I think they're gonna do which is you know step back to take in this huge wall piece and then oh there's little tiny paintings over there and they'll look up and they'll spend some time examining them and while they're doing that they'll notice something else out of the corner of their eye and it's you know a line guiding them to this you know 
other section of the work and they'll spend some time you know stepping back and moving in and stepping back and moving in and that's kind of what I intend obviously some people have different ideas but that's always kind of the intention of is to pull back and then lean in and pull back and lean in and why is performance so generative for you I actually I just don't know it just feels it feels real it feels like sometimes you know I mean I don't know if this is me or this is just like artists in general but sometimes it making work and putting it in a gallery can sometimes just feel very stale or like it's not real or that you've made all this and then it hangs on a wall and then what you know I kind of just I always wanted that moreness I always wanted that like I think again that intimacy I always wanted to I think it's that that's it's that thing of oversharing of being like and this is what and this is what this one's about and you know I don't know it just <laughs> it just gives me a real buzz to 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 hear what people think and then to like interject with what I think and I think that's just a, a personality trait of mine and I just I don't know I, I I think how the work interacts with itself is performative and I think how you know when I'm physically there in the exhibition I think that changes the work versus when I'm not there I did not intend for the work to be like installation-y he- like installation heavy or like performative heavy I think it's, it just came about really out of nowhere um but it has been working and I've been really enjoying the process and I'm just excited about it and I just really want it to keep going and I really want to just expand and, and grow within that and on that idea um because I think just human interaction is you know a very intrinsic part of the series that to expand that in a, in a, in a gallery or a space is just super interesting and and yeah, just super cool. This may sound like a strange question considering you started to make this work when you were a student, but was there a particular moment where you realised that the world you occupy could be art? I think I think I've just always really romanticised my life. <laughs> <laughs> love it, so, love it. So it's, in a way, I have always kind of been like, I'm an artist and this is my life and I've always had kind of had that air of like absolute delusion. About... I, this is the best thing you, you've said. This is amazing. So I, I think I've always been a bit like, yeah, it's so hard to put into words without sounding like an idiot. But I think I've always just had this little arty farty life and I have held so tightly onto that because it is it is the life that I want to occupy. It is the life that I love for myself. It is the, it is my dream life. It is everything that I want and I will never let go of it. And yeah, (laughs) I always knew I was an artist. I always knew it was my path. I've fought really hard to keep it that way. And I just, I've always seen the things around me as art to take photos of them is just something that had to happen. And to finish up, I wanted to ask you the question that I ask everybody at the end of the show, and that's what matters more to you, the process of making the work or the final presentation of it? Well, I know the question was what matters. Personally, if I could just snap my fingers and have the work just come out of my head, that would be fantastic because I hate making it. I hate painting and I hate editing photos and I hate going through photos because I'm such a bad decision maker and it takes forever. And I I just wish that the ideas would just magically appear on walls 
if I had it my way. <laughs> so I'll, I, I wish I enjoyed the process more. Sometimes I think back and I'm like, oh, but that was so nice. And I'm like, yeah, but I cried. And then I like beat myself up. And then I thought it was going nowhere. And it is such a roller coaster that, you know, for peace of mind, I wish ideas just came out really lovely and easily and stuff. So I prefer the end product. But I suppose it is very vital to go through the process because it wouldn't be what it would be if, you know, if not. That is amazing. Thank you so much, Audrey. Honestly, it was such a dream to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.